Farage at large. We're here in Bognor Regis with clearly a very excitable crowd. <laughs> now, I'm not sure why they're all so happy, because today we saw the highest interest rate hike from the Bank of England in 27 years. We also saw inflation forecasts that say it's going up to 13, 14, 15% over the course of the next couple of years. The Bank of England are so useless, because they didn't see any of this coming, they actually make our politicians really look quite good. And on top of all of that, Zip Zero, the consumer network group, say by the end of 2022, 47% of households will be struggling to pay their energy bills. And that leads us on to a very big question. Theresa May introduced something called the price cap, one of the most ludicrous things ever done by a British government, because it's going up possibly next year. By spring of next year, it could be as high as £3,600 per household. And already, there's a hint of rebellion in the air with a don't pay campaign. A campaign saying to people, from the 1st of October, cancel your standing orders. Now, the last time people went through real economic hardship in a big scale in this country was in the 1970s. Inflation rocketing, bills rocketing, people struggling. But you know what? That generation of people had lived through two world wars. They'd lived through hardship. They actually could accept not having the things they need for a comfortable life. I wonder, I just wonder today in the 2020s, whether this concept that we just don't pay our bills actually takes off and leaves government to come in and bail the whole thing out. I don't know the answer, but I'm asking you at home. Will you be able to pay your bills by the end of this year? Indeed, more pertinently, will you pay your bills by the end of this year? Let me know your views, farage at gbnews.uk. Now, we're here in Bognor, and Jane Smith is the town crier who opened up the show this evening. And, Jane, you did it beautifully. Why a town crier, and why is it Bognor? I was told off earlier. Yes, you would be. I, I said, I'm in Bognor. No, 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 they said, you're not. You're in Bognor Regis. I'll come to that, don't <laughs> worry, I'll come to that. Absolutely. Why is it Regis? Um, well, we've had uh, many uh, royal visitors over the years, including a very young three-year-old Princess Elizabeth with her grandfather, and uh, Queen Victoria used to um, uh, build sandcastles on the seashore, and um, also King George V came to... Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the word. He came to um, rest after illness. Yes. Um, convalesce. And, um, yeah, so that's then uh, how we became a Regis. So Regis is like a sort of royal approval, seal, seal of approval. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because obviously we've been visited by, the, by royal families. So, okay. yes, absolutely. And being town crier, I mean, what are those responsibilities? Um, so mainly I, I, um, I'm appointed by the town council, so I do anything that, um, that they would uh, like me to do, any events and things like that. And um, so, yes, I, I usually just... Um, I'm well known for going out in town and ringing my bell and shouting at people, mainly. Well, yours, I tell you what, uh, Jane, I'll be honest with you, you make me feel like an introvert, honestly. I mean, I, I, you know. I think it's the regal purple. <laughs> well, it's pretty impressive. Now, it is rumoured that on his deathbed, the last words that were offered by George V, which gave this town a bad rep for many years, were bugger bogner. 
<laughs> now, <laughs> is this fair? Is it reasonable? Um, well, you know, there's always two sides to every story, of course, <laughs> isn't there? So, um, yes, some people believe that that is true. Um, other people, I think it's been reported that he said something else. But I think um, when he said that there was, uh, they, there was a possibility of a second visit, I think that's when he may possibly have said bugger Bogner. Because he knew he was on the way out. And that's Quite the truth of it. Because so. he loved Bogner Regis. Everyone loves Bogner Regis. Absolutely. And they love Jane Smith, the town crier. They really do. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank indeed. you very much. Thank you. <laughs> now. They say that all politics is local, but it's very interesting. Wherever we go with this Farage at Large show, we find local issues that have national implications. So here we are in Bognor Regis, a town that voted, a constituency that voted by two to one in favour of leaving the European Union. This is big leave country down here. It's also big Conservative Party country down here, massive Tory majorities. The majorities are so massive that Nick Gibb, the MP, didn't even bother to respond to our request to come on the show, which is unusual, because when we go round the country, we get Labour and Conservative MPs more than willing to engage. But why should Nick Gibb bother? There's a huge majority. Am I being too cynical? I don't think so. But I am joined by two independent local councillors, and I rather like that. Councillor Sandra Daniels and Councillor Wayne Smith. Good evening. Welcome to the programme. Thank you for inviting us. And thank you, unlike your MP, for having the guts to turn up. <laughs> thank you. Is he, what, what sort of MP is he? Mm, he's been in the job a long time. Um, he's uh, hard-working and he's got a pretty good reputation, I think, really, amongst people, uh, but perhaps not highly visible. Not highly visible. He's like the Scarlet Pimpernel, Nigel. Um, <laughs> I don't pull any punches. <laughs> no, I know, like I gather that. Um, and I wouldn't want to trade punches with you, Wayne. Like no, sure. he, um, yeah, there, there's many people, including community groups, to try and contact him and get no reply. No. Well, oh, but there equally, you are. there is a lot of people who've said to me that he's done some very good uh, work, one-to-one -one work with them that he well, can't do. There you are. Publicly, good so. balanced debate on mm. GB News, and that's <laughs> what we're here for. Absolutely. Now, Local issues, national issues, net zero, the mad rush to net zero. Boris Johnson saying we must become the Saudi Arabia of wind. And here, in this part of West Sussex, there is a proposal for the <coughs> Rampion 2 wind farm project. It will be just two and a half, three miles off the coast of here. It'll go yep. from Bognor way down past Littlehampton towards Shoreham. The turbines are going to be a thousand feet high. It's just the biggest thing we've ever seen. Only yesterday in Hull, a 410-foot wind turbine caught fire, shedding debris <coughs> in the area. And every year, thousands of wind turbines catch fire. I must be honest, I'm a wind turbine sceptic. I think whatever short-term good they might do, in the long term, in the long term, I really... For those watching on television, you can see the wind turbine in Hull yesterday burning. I'm a sceptic. I think they'll be there as, as, as rusting monsters in the years to come as a monument to our stupidity. But we have to save the planet, you see. So maybe, maybe Rampion 2 is, Sandra, <clears throat> the right thing for Bognor Regis. Well, personally, I'm 
like yourself, not, not a fan of the scheme, and I know a lot, there's a lot of uh, local opposition to it. Um, we had a very balanced debate at the Town Council from both Rampion 2 and also a local pressure group. Um, we came out as a Town Council collectively not in favour of Rampion 2. Um, I think it, it's not the right location for it. It's a very busy shipping lane. As you point out, it's only going to be eight miles from the coast. They're going to be 325 metres high, which is the same height as the Eiffel Tower. They're going to dwarf the existing ones. And the locals, some of whom have got lovely beachfront houses, and uh, anyone really, I mean, I walk along the beach, they are going to be a massive eyesore, very intrusive. And how effective they'll be when the wind isn't blowing, we don't, we don't really know. Oh, no, I'll tell you, absolutely blooming useless. Well, like, absolutely. Pig ugly, pig ugly, and when the wind doesn't blow, useless, mm. which means we need gas, <laughs> which we continue to import vast amounts of. I mean, it's all part of net zero. The government's net zero strategy, but it's you living in Bognor Regis that will, I think, be paying the price. Wayne, I think you're even more outspoken on this. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for green energy. You know, I, I think the, you know, we need to evolve as a country and do what we can to either save money or do whatever, but at this moment in time, I think the technology's not there. It's, you know, I've spoken to engineers that were involved with wind farms. Mm. I think off the top of my head, the, the percentage that I had, where they were only fully proactive for 33% of the time. Um, they cost a lot of money to install. Yes, and, and that money, a lot of that money goes on people's bills. Yeah, absolutely. Subsidy. Yeah, no, listen, I mean, look, I get it, but it's part of government policy. Final thought from both of you. You know, you're, you're there, you've got your own constituents. <coughs> Energy bills are going through the roof yeah. to a level that's alarming people. I told you earlier, 50% of households are going to struggle by the end of this year to pay their bills. Some might just refuse. How scared are people, Sandra? I think everyone's really worried. I, you know, it's, it, it is, it's, it's daunting, isn't it? I mean, I don't even see a quick fix. Even if we said tomorrow we'll start fracking or we looked at other uh, sources of uh, energy, it's going to be a long, long time before that can be implemented. I have no idea what the answer is. Although I have got one solution, which is everybody goes to the pub in the evening instead and we all share the fire and the heating. So I always thought, home. Sandra, I, always, I knew I was going to like you somehow. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it was. Wayne, how worried are your constituents? Very, very worried. Um, as you know, I'm chairman of the Community Engagement and Environment yep. Committee. Um, I deal with local uh, groups that try to help residents on a daily basis. And what they're going through is going through the roof. You know, people even now are coming, even people that are, that are fully employed, that have yes, full-time yes. employment are coming because they can't afford to feed the family. They can't afford to buy a new cooker or a fridge or anything like that. So it is going to get a lot worse. It's, yeah, I, I think the idea of not paying your bills come October, fantastic. But then you've got to look at the other side of it. What about the people that are on key meters that have to pay well, I'm hang on, Wayne. I mean, you know, we can't encourage people just not to pay their bills, can we? Uh, if, if, it mean, if it means that people actually turn around and take notice, wow. then yeah. As I say, well, I, I don't sit on the fence, Nigel. No, Sandra, Wayne, thank you for joining me, Wayne. You do not sit on the fence, that is <laughs> for certain. But thank you to both of you for coming along this evening. Thank you. <laughs> now. Wherever we visit with Farage at large, we try to find a local site of real, genuine interest that says something about the background of the area. And it was a great pleasure and privilege earlier on today to visit the old RAF base at Tangmere. Well, Bognor Regis is tonight's show, and just a few miles away is this military aviation museum. The place is better known as RAF Tangmere. Until 1970, the RAF were here. And here you can see a hawker hunter. Here you can see a Gloucester meteor. Both these planes, in their different times, 
broke airspeed records flying along the coast from Littlehampton to Bognor Regis. It's a place where Sir Douglas Bardafew flew, the famous pilot who'd lost his legs and yet carried on flying and in the end finished up in Colditz. But the bit that really interests me is 1940. The Spitfires, the Hurricanes that flew from here, the men that flew from here, the men and women on the ground that helped them. And that was the time, 1940, when everyone thought that the Germans were about to invade. And it was just the heroics of what is known as the few that saved us from that fate. The battle royal begins, and the Royal Air Force are still shooting them down at the rate of about four to one. Here in the museum is the wreck of a 1940 Hawker Hurricane Battle of Britain plane successfully shot down several German aircraft. Uh, but in the end, this museum, this history, isn't just about bits of machinery, it's about human beings. And David Locke from the museum joins me to tell the story of the young man that flew this plane. Yes, he was 20 years old, um, Sergeant Dennis Noble. He joined the RAF in 1938 as an auxiliary. He was an engineer and then finally ended up on 43 Squadron in August 1940. He was launched to take on, with the squadron, 30 aeroplanes um, over to defend Ford Airfield, which is just up the road. Mm. And he was probably wounded severely or killed in the cockpit. And his aircraft plunged into a road just outside Hove. The wreckage was quickly bulldozed away. Um, a coffin was largely filled with sand and sent up to his mum and dad up in <laughs> Redford and he had his funeral and that would probably be almost the last we heard of Dennis Noble until a couple of people at the museum here asked if they could do an archaeological dig in the road some 50 years later and they dug down and sure enough <laughs> they found the aircraft and this wreckage here and also the remains of poor Dennis. So we've given, in a way, Dennis a life after death here at this museum. Mm. And this, it, the way with it smashed up and everything, is something that's just frozen in common. It's, it's an amazing story. But there's another story that David hasn't told us, but he will. <laughs> but he will in a moment. <laughs> Among the many exhibits here are a group of medals, two. Air Vice Marshal George Lott, who, David, was your father and was station commander here in 1940. Well, no, he was CO of 43, sorry. Right. CO. Um, and he flew largely on the Dunkirk stuff, and later, as the Germans advanced through France, they were operating in France, going out in the morning, doing several missions, and then flying back to Tangier. On one occasion, he went with 16 aircraft, and two of them ended up back at Tangmere. Really? It was a really, really bad time. But he was shot down um, on July the 9th, 1940. He tried to get his aircraft back to here, but it, the engine conked out just over Ford Airfield at 600 feet, and he bailed out. He did very well, my dad. He, he started life as a boy cadet at um, Henlow and um, at the age of 15, and he ended up at Air Vice Marshal. Yeah. at the end of his career, and he got a DSO and a DSC to boot. It's a great story, yeah. it's a great human story, and David's sort of living history, really, if you come and visit the museum. And I would say to you, if you've got kids and grandkids, you're in this area, come to this museum, it's the kind of history they really ought to know about. Well, 
Yeah. That was happening over the skies here just over 80 years ago, and thank goodness those very brave young men did what they did. Now, something remarkable happened. I mean, talk about foresight. On the 2nd of May this year, here in Bognor Regis was established the Bognor Regis women's football team. How about that? And, you know, to use an old phrase of mine from the European Parliament, they all laughed at you. Well, I tell you what, after last Sunday, they're not laughing now. So, well, well done, Matt Trinidad. Well done, Danny Talbot. Um, Danny, what did last Sunday mean? Oh, everything. I mean, I think anyone, anyone could say, like, it was, went down in history. Um, I mean, I, I believe women's football forever will be changed. Um, and I'm so excited to see what, what's to come, really. Um, it's, it's amazing. It was remarkable, and I have to say, their behaviour, the way they carried themselves, the sheer unbridled joy, um, there were no prima donnas, no stupid haircuts. Um, <laughs> I, I thought it was great. Now, I have to ask you, Matt Trinidad, uh, taking on, as manager and coach of the Bognor Regis Town FC women's team, you're a very brave man, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we've had great support from um, Jack Pierce, who's the vice chairman of the FA and the chairman of Bognor Regis Football Club. Uh, with the support of our chairman as well, uh, we've got our own chairman, Mark Patterson, who's the ladies' chairman, uh, has given us the full support of taking this forward. Uh, we started off with a youth section. Uh, we've got over 500 uh, kids, boys and girls, from age six up to under 18. Brilliant, brilliant. So it's, it's brilliant. really uh, progressing well. Um, so me and Danny, with Mark, and, and the support of the club, have uh, basically put this together to go and, and organise a women's team and take it for strength for strength. Uh, no, well, I hope you do. That's the idea. I hope you do. And I, I sort of picked up there, Danny, on your optimism about what this means for the game. And yet, you know, in the few days after that amazing victory, and the fact that it was against Germany just makes it so much <laughs> better, it seems to me. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, there's no guarantee that even a majority of girls at school will get the chance to play football when the term starts in a month's time. Isn't this where the future needs to really be? Yeah, I do believe. Um, I mean, looking back when I was younger, playing football in school, PE, that it was non-existent. It just didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, and I do believe that now moving forward, especially after the Euros, um, especially, you know, now it's more developed, especially within the, the last few years, um, it, it's a must. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's huge. It really is. And, the, and there's such high demand for, for women, girls, uh, football. And I think uh, um, definitely moving forward, I think that's where we need to look at. I think, I think your phrase, yeah. it's a must, yeah. is absolutely right. Some alarming yeah. stats out just the other week. Yeah. Sort of half of teenage girls not engaged in any physical sport or activity at all. And that leads to obesity and goodness knows what else. I want to say congratulations to both of you. Your timing is unbelievable. <laughs> it's brilliant. And I hope Bognor Regis Town FC women's team goes on next season and beyond from strength to strength, and well done, both of you. Thank, Thank you very much. much. Thank you. Welcome back to Bognor Regis. Now, some of your views from home. I asked, can you pay your bills for the end of the year? I, indeed, I asked, will you pay your bills towards the end of the year? One viewer says, I personally should be fine, as I'm single, got plenty saved, 
and don't mind a cold, dark winter in Scotland, where they're used to it up there, of course. I'm a lot more worried for those I work with, as their average age is 87, and they need the heating on for survival. And, I, yeah, well, look, you know, I, I'm afraid for the very elderly, this could be a very serious situation coming up this winter. Tina says, these energy bills are going to be ridiculous. If this government and its predecessors planned better, we wouldn't be facing extortionate hikes. You know, one thing I've found with Farage at large, going around the country, one thing that unites people from all political wings is the idea that we as a country should be self-sufficient in energy, not dependent on any other part of the world for our energy. And maybe if we'd done that and thought about that and planned those things, we might not be in quite the same mess that we are now. Now, business in Bognor. We all know about Butlins. Of course, Bognor is very, very famous for Butlins. But for many, many years, Bognor was considered to be the worst seaside town in Sussex. Now, whether this was fair or unfair, that is what was said. But what I've learned on this trip is there are things happening in Bognor and its surrounding business, and they're perhaps rather good. Maybe in some ways, Bognor has come through the pandemic rather better than many others. And joining me, Heather Allen, coordinator for Bogner Business Improvement District. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. As I understand it, you've got a lot of local businesses behind you, working with you to try and improve conditions here in Bogner. Absolutely. So the role of the Business Improvement District, which has to be voted in, it can't just be imposed, uh, is to provide additional services and uh, provide additionality to what is provided by councils and you're completely driven by what the businesses prioritise. So in Bognor Regis, um, when the bid first was introduced in 2018, businesses said they wanted the bid to focus on making Bognor Regis a more welcoming town, well-known town with better parking and a vibrant nightlife. So that's what we've been delivering for the past four years. And it's noticeable. You know, you walk down the high street here or around, there are still lots of independent businesses. Absolutely right. And one of the reasons, perhaps, that Bognor Regis didn't fare quite as badly as other towns throughout the pandemic, throughout our footfall remains higher than the other towns that we compare with, is because we have a really good mix of both national chains and independents. So in the core retail area, which is the main kind of London Road and High yeah. Street, we have almost a 50-50 split. It's 52% are national chains yeah. and 48% are independents. Now, if you go just slightly wider than that, in the area that we call the town centre, from the station right down to the sea, it's a different picture again. You've got 65% of those businesses, whether they are services, yeah. whether they're shops, whether they are... Uh, restaurants, cafes, food and drinks, whether they're professional services like um, solicitors, banking, 65% of the businesses are independent and 35% across this wider no, area really are nationals. And what, because I just feel so often that business, government doesn't understand small business. It understands big business because they lobby them and buy them dinner, mm -hmm. you know, and it kind of works. But small business gets ignored, I think. I mean... What, 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 do you, what would you like to see on behalf of your members and your supporters from government for small business? And I think for all of the businesses, regardless of their side, but particularly for the smaller businesses who tend not to have such large profit margins, who are working either by themselves as sole um, 
sole traders or have small staff, which can also be family members. What they would love to see is a little bit of certainty because what we've had for the past three, four years has been relentless. COVID, then Ukraine, then the knock-on effect of that, then the lockdowns, and now the... And and now the Tory psychodrama that goes on forever where we don't know who the PM's going to be. Yeah, but to an extent, that doesn't really affect businesses. The most pressing concerns of the businesses that I've spoken to are the same that affect the population. Businesses themselves face direct cost increases. So the cost of the things that they're buying are going up. The delivery costs, the shipping costs, everything's going up. Their own um, energy costs are going up. I spoke to a business this morning who has multiple sites, still an independent business, multiple sites, and they're looking at an increase annually from £20,000 to £70,000 just in their energy bills. So one issue is the direct cost to the businesses. The other issue, of course, is the impact that the cost of living increase is having on their customers. Because if people have less money in their pockets or are fearful that they need to keep hold of every penny in their pockets... They're going to rein in. They're going to rein in. Listen, it's going to be tough for everybody, but the businesses, Heather and Bongna, have got you fighting for them. It's a very good thing, and thank you for coming on the show. This evening. (laughs) Now, I always try and find... Always try to find a what the Farage moment. I mean, what the Farage is this all about? And just in the last week, Bogda has produced the most extraordinary story. Staff working at McDonald's in Bogna were really shocked to see, outside their front door, a five-foot boa constrictor that had escaped. And I have to say, the snake looks absolutely terrifying. Quite why anybody would ever want to have one as a pet is completely and utterly beyond me. But clearly, people buy these things, don't look after them, release them, and the RSPCA in the end steps in and has to pick up the bill. I mean, the whole thing is completely ridiculous. I won't say only in Bogner, otherwise I might get lynched afterwards. <laughs> now, it is time for one of my most favourite parts of the show. It's Barrage the Farage. I've no idea what you're going to ask. All I know is you're called Anthony. Good evening. Nigel. Following your excellent reporting on channel migrant crossings, I'd like to ask you what you would propose as a potential solution. Yes, and we showed some TikTok um, evidence earlier this week of Albanian gangs that were advertising on TikTok. You know, 27th of July, there's a space on the boat. Then a summer sale. Summer sale. Only three and a half grand. I mean, get in quick, you know. Um, I can tell you that today there were 400 in by about four o'clock, with more boats on the way. We're headed for vast numbers. People are feeling this all over the country. We will never deal with this if we stay part of the European Convention on Human Rights, whose court can overrule us. We will never deal with this, all the while we're signed up to some United Nations declarations, some of which are over 70 years old and out of date. I would put it to you, Anthony, what we need is Brexit 2.0, so we really get back control of our borders. That's my view. What's yours? I wonder when we'll run out of hotel rooms. <laughs> well, I think we're rapidly running out of hotel rooms. And the cost is £5 million a day. And I sense people are pretty upset and pretty angry about what's going on. And worse still is those that are coming, we now learn they're absconding in their hundreds, and many we haven't even got biometric data from. So I think it's very worrying. And we have a lot of people in this country, legitimately, who have a reasonable 
need for this sort of accommodation that we're paying. I suspect, Anthony, and we'll, I'll ask for cheers or booze for what Anthony just said. Is he right or not? No question, you'll get bored a drink afterwards. Anthony, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Let's go to Louis. Louis, good evening. Um, I'm 17 years old and I cannot vote, go to the pub, get married or own a house. Yeah, as a member of the Conservative Party, I will get a vote for the next Prime Minister. Do you think this is right? <laughs> I tell you what, Louis, you may be only 17, you've got a great career ahead of you, whatever you decide to do. Um, well, according to some of the reports this week, uh, there could even be cyber hacking um, if people were to change their votes subsequently. That's now been got rid of. Louis, all I can say to you is uh, you're clearly uh, very capable of doing whatever you wish to do, but if the Conservative Party can't organise its own ballot without fear of it being hacked and giving the vote to people like you, who can't vote in any other form of election, if they can't get their own party management right, how the hell can we trust them to run the country? Yeah. That's my view. What, I mean, what do you think? They're, um, they're in a mess, aren't they? Yeah, they need to get, they need to get things sorted out. To, like, if, if they can't run the country, who's supposed to run the country? They, we vote for them. I voted for... Well, I would have voted for them. I'm part of their party. They need to get things straight. They need to organise things in a proper manner to... Well, Louis, I tell you what they need. They need leaders who actually believe in things other than their own career advancement. That is what they need, above all. OK, Bev. Good evening. Oh, hi, Bev. Um, out of all the famous and infamous people you've met during, through your career, who do you most admire and why? Oh, he's so great. He's a great guy. Um, he's coming back as president. <laughs> and for personality, you've got to say Donald Trump. I mean, you know, you may love him, you may hate him. He's absolutely larger than life, magnetic person to be around. Yeah. Um, I've met people on the other side of the argument. I mean... It was interesting. President Sarkozy was nice to me. President Sarkozy invited me for lunch at the Elysee and the cigars came out and, <laughs> and that was great. The biggest surprise I had was the Reverend Ian Paisley. And I'd, I'd grown up watching the television thinking the guy was a complete monster. And when you met him, one-on-one, -on -one, absolutely the most charming man you'd ever meet and for his constituents in Antrim, regardless whether they were Catholic or Protestant, he would do his best for them. Yeah. The biggest surprise was Ian Paisley. Generally, Bev, I've got to tell you something. Generally, of the people that have been in senior political positions in our country over the last 25 years, most of them are the most enormous disappointment because yeah. to link back to Louis, they're not in politics for what they can do, they're in politics for what they can do for, for themselves. themselves. Absolutely. I Thank agree. you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you. OK, let's get Sam. <laughs> Good evening, Nigel. Good evening. 
Uh, if the migrant crossings across the English Channel continue at the same rate that we're seeing at the moment, how bad do you think the impact is going to get on our public services in the next 5, 10, 15 years? You already, dear boy, cannot get a GP appointment unless you sort of ring up at 7.30 in the morning and you want to get your kid into the local primary school, you may find it's full, they've got to go somewhere else. We have a population crisis in this country. It's out of control and it's directly because of open borders and... And no-one has got the courage to deal with it, and that's because as soon as you put your head over the parapet and discuss these issues, they make your life hell. they made my life hell on this for years. Luckily, unlike normal people, I couldn't care less. Yeah. And I have huge respect for what you've done over the last year of this country. And finally... Richard. Good evening, Nigel. Good evening. With your observant eyes, having spent the day here today do you think Bogner Regis needs levelling up? <laughs> well, you're right in a way, because levelling up is as if what should happen is southern taxpayers should shovel their money just to the north. And there are lots of parts of southern England that have got their problems too. Uh, Bogner, is, Bogner is nationally in the middle in terms of income, age, all those things. It's in the middle. In the south, it's slightly below the middle in terms of its wealth and everything else. Um, I, look, the great thing about this is just chucking government money at things doesn't actually bring long-term benefits because the money tends to get very badly spent. Yeah. What works is creating the right opportunities for people, yes. allowing, and I talked earlier with Heather, getting the burden of tax and business off the backs of small businesses yeah. uh, and to let people thrive. I believe that economic growth comes from the bottom up, not from the top down. I believe the 5.5 million people out there who are sole traders, small businessmen and women, are the real heroes of this country. And I genuinely believe that if we increase corporation tax by 30% next April, that would be a disaster. So I wouldn't just level up the North, I wouldn't just level up Bognor Regis, I'd create an environment where we can all level up to a higher level. I really Thank would. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. In a moment, it's talking pints, and given the temperature in this room, that's a very, very good thing. I'll be joined by Paralympian James Whitley, a man who has overcome real difficulties without feeling sorry for himself at all. everybody. It is time for Talking Pints and I'm joined by GB Paralympic skier James Whitley. James, welcome to Talking Pints. Thank you. Now, too many people these days are told they're victims. They're victims because they've not had the right start in life. They're victims because they've got some sort of problem and they're victims and therefore they must get themselves into this mindset that they can't really achieve very much in life. You did not exactly have the easiest start in life and James, you were born with no fingers. No, I, I was born with no fingers uh, over a series of about 40 operations or so. Um, 
I got what I have today, which is sort of two fingers on right and three on the left. Um, the other way around. Uh, uh, and this is all when you're a very small boy. Yeah, all, but all mostly before the age of six. Um, but I always had this sort of need for speed, skiing, um, went on a few family holidays. Uh, and then uh, when I was about six years old, I got involved in a very bad accident on a boat where it basically ploughed over the top of me and I couldn't sort of walk for a year. Uh, and the man who... You weren't making life easy for yourself. No, stage, I, I, I was always known to be very accident prone. <laughs> it was very rare I was out of a bandage. Um, but no, the guy who um, helped rehabilitate me was a Paralympic tennis player. And he said, you're obviously such a speed demon, love doing slightly daring things. Um, you should really give it a go. And one thing led to another. Uh, and three Paralympics later, sort of yeah, here no, I am. Yeah, no, we're going to come to it. But what is the psychology of a six-year-old boy who... And, you know, you're born with a huge difficulty, you've been through it, and then you get this horrendous accident happens as well. I mean, do you look at other boys when you're six and think, life's unfair? How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I think that's a good point. Because um, at six, you don't know any better. I've never known any better. I've never known what it's like to have hands. And so I've always got on from it from day dot. Uh, I've always tried to be... Uh, able to do buttons and cut my food just like any other person, only it might have been a little bit more of a struggle. Um, and so the point is, is that, you know, people who are disabled oft, often find it frustrating when uh, there's, un, you know, sort of get the violin out, when actually they, you know, people are proud to be able to be capable and do things that hopefully can ins inspire others. So, you know, as you say, you meet a skiing coach, this becomes your inspiration, and you start to train and start to work at it. But, I mean, living, living in Sussex, skiing isn't that easy, really, is it? No, apart from uh, not catch dry slope near me, there, is, there isn't much. So I spent a lot of my childhood um, sort of in the Alps with a ski team, um, training sort of 10 months a year often on snow, um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I got selected for the team when I was about nine years old and uh, kept on doing my downhill training and eventually was able to go to the first um, Paralympics, which was at uh, Sochi in 2014. Yeah. Um, and what's it like to go out there and represent your country at the Olympics? It's a massive honour coming out with the Union Jack, you know, doing uh, the sort of opening ceremony. Um, and looking up at the board that you've just done the run of your life uh, and you've, you know, you're representing the country that not many people have the opportunity Here you are to on do. screen for those that are watching us, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so to, to be able to do the World Championships and Paralympics, obviously, I, and doing what I love, it was a massive honour for sure. And you're still very young. Yeah. You're still very, very young, so there's a lot more skiing in you. And from what I can see going through all of the records, you're actually getting better and better, aren't you? Well, um, fingers crossed, there's been a steady progression. Um, you know, sort of, obviously, it's not like football or athletics, uh, where I can go home to see Granny for tea. I have to go out for months at a time, uh, where someone from Austria or France or Italy, um, you know, they can train all day, every day. So I'm really happy with how the British team are doing uh, in comparison, and I think there's more to come. But your own personal performances in terms of the World Championships and your World Rankings, you're getting better and better. Is the best 
yet to come, James Whitley? Oh, I think definitely. Uh, you know, I've, uh, I've, got, um, I've got the hunger to like, keep going and push more. Uh, every time I do it, I enjoy it more. I'm a bit more relaxed at a big event like that because it can be quite overwhelming initially. Um, but yeah, fitter and stronger than ever. So fingers crossed uh, next time. We talked earlier on to the Bogda Regis women's football team just getting started. Um, they, would have encouraged, they, they would have encountered great prejudice just a few years ago, but in the light of last Sunday, they won't. Do we, in your opinion, do we do enough with young disabled children to encourage them to be the best they can? I think we're very lucky in the UK in the sense that I, at least, have very rarely ever seen a prejudice ever seen towards me. And I think... Paralympic sports is getting more and more popular every time each cycle that comes round. And I think with that, it really does give a bit of inspiration to sort of people who might not think, might not think they're able to do X, Y, or Z. Um, so I, I do think it's ever improving. Um, yeah. Well, I just, I wonder about opportunity though. I mean, opportunity. I mean, are, you know, are disabled kids encouraged to play sports? Of what? I mean, it's great that you get to the Paralympics. That's fantastic. And it's great that, you know, the women win the football on Sunday. But getting involved in sport, being active, we can't all be winners. Are these, are these going to become mass participation things or is it still a matter of cost and difficulty? No, I, I, I do think, uh, in general, like disabled uh, children are push uh, just as much if not more than anyone because uh, they get a sort of sense of liberty that they might not have especially if you're in a wheelchair you know you'll get get to sort of actively participate in sport um, I, I think that's always getting better each time well I um, do hope so yeah. I really hope so now I'm told that your motto is the only thing we have to fear is fear itself is that right I do think so I think um, as a sort of Western human race. We're getting very comfortable uh, being comfortable all the time. I think um, pushing yourself to do something that makes you a little bit scared each day really can develop your sort of personality. And, you know, for me, I love, you know, going really fast or looking down a bit. <laughs> well, but, but you see, but... this is what I want to come on to. You're now getting involved in motorsport. Yes. So... Um, There's no stopping this guy, is there? I mean, <laughs> as you see, the sort of need for speed. It team, stop team. Tell us about Team Brit. So Team Brit is uh, it's an incredible team. It was originally uh, uh, started up by um, veterans, uh, for veterans, but it's opened up to anyone with a disability who wants to go motor racing. Um, and it's it's not a disabled racing team. It's uh, it's a racing team that happens to be disabled. That's the way I look at it. Uh, so currently, me and my teammate Chris, we're leading the championship uh, and we're hoping to sort of work our way up to the Le Mans 24-hour racing. So that's our goal. There's no stopping you, really, is there? No, absolutely not. I, I, you know, I'm in it to win it, just like skiing. Um, and I've always had this passion for cars ever since I was young. So every summer months I had at home, I was fiddling with a car if I could. I've got to say... James Whitley, I just think your positivity, your shrugging off of all those terrible difficulties you have for the first seven years of your life and what you're going on to do, reaching higher and higher peaks, I think it is truly inspirational. And I hope that there are parents and kids watching this 
who have got their own difficulties, but realize through you and people like you that actually with the right mental mindset, it's amazing in life what you can achieve. It's fabulous to have you as a guest on Talking Pints. I'm sure this audience feel as I do. What an amazing guy, ladies and gentlemen. Farage at Large is a moving feast. It rather reminds me, in a sense, of my old days in politics, touring the country. I love it. I like meeting people. I like going out and seeing communities. And in exactly two weeks' time, and that will be, of course, the 18th of August, we will be in Ipswich. Anybody living in Ipswich or the area that wants to come, please go to the GB News website. Do it right now. GBnews.uk. I'll warn you, this audience filled up within 20 hours. Literally overnight it was full. You want to come to Ipswich, you better get up there and do it soon. Now, Bognor Regis, would you believe it, is the sunniest town in the entire country. Yes, it's sunny Bognor Regis, an average of 194 hours of sunshine every year. And as you know, we always try and find a local group or a local singer. And I think that Liana Haynes, Sussex girl, here in Bognor Regis, Singing, Here Comes the Sun, could not be more appropriate. Take it away.
Hello, I'm Alex Deacon with your latest weather update from the Met Office. Sunny spells for most tomorrow. Showers across the north, whereas the south will stay dry. That's the forecast for a number of days ahead, thanks to high pressure slowly but surely moving in. Low pressure is close to northern Scotland, and that will throw some showers in here overnight. We've got some around at the moment. And I think as we go through the evening, we'll see a few more showers coming into the north of Northern Ireland and the west coast of Scotland later in the night, maybe one or two coming into northwest. West England and North Wales. A bit of cloud at times across East Anglia in the south. East, small chance of a shower here, but really not much in the way of rainfall at all. And um, a cool night, certainly compared to earlier in the week. Much fresher, much less humid. Some places starting off in single figures on Friday. We'll start off with quite a bit of sunshine over Wales, the Midlands, Southern England and Eastern England, Eastern Scotland too. Further west, there will be some scattered showers and we'll see those showers developing more widely over northern England and central and eastern Scotland come the afternoon. But easing in western Scotland, the south stays dry, quite warm here, but as I said, it won't be as humid. On the cool side further north, we might get up to 20 Celsius, but generally mid to high teens. Still a few showers in the east during tomorrow evening, but they'll fade pretty quickly. So for most, it's going to be a fine Friday evening. Quite cool, though. Temperature will drop off fairly sharply and it will be a bit chilly first thing on Saturday morning. But uh, again, it's blue skies, certainly for the majority across England and Wales. Northern England will cloud over. A fair bit of cloud at times for Northern Ireland. Certainly a grey start to the weekend in Scotland. But even here, generally turning brighter through the day, we'll always keep some outbreaks of rain going across the far north where it will again be cool but elsewhere signs of temperatures on the rise once more. Similar uh, conditions on Sunday with some patchy rain across the far north and northwest but for most it's dry with sunny spells. I say signs of things warming up into next week.